This is the Messy Progress Podcast, and I'm your host, Adrian Smith. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Lily Tam, who received her doctorate degree in education from USC. She's also a clinical hypnotherapist and founder of Chunky Brain. Lily's research that she did in her doctorate focused on mindfulness and employee engagement in the corporate setting. And based on the results of her studies, she developed a six-week mindfulness program that encompasses the six core dimensions of wellness of the whole self. As the corporate world started to see that the data that mindfulness within organizations increases employee satisfaction and productivity, Lily implemented her program within a lot of organizations. Since COVID began, Lily decided she wanted to expand her program to make it available to everyone that deals with the ups and downs of everyday life, and so she reached out to me, and we're really excited to be able to share her focused meditations that are going to focus on the six core dimensions of wellness for the whole self at our studio, Power of Your Own, in Santa Barbara, California. So I'm just going to get straight to it. You can hear this conversation. It's really amazing. And I love that Lily and I can just talk super candidly about why this works and why it's needed for everybody. So enjoy. First, I'm so excited that you, that I met you, Lily. Yay. I'm so excited to have this conversation and share what you're the most passionate about sharing with people who are listening and just sharing generally with the world. So thank you for jumping on and doing this kind of last minute. Thank you. I think it helps both of us. Yeah. And I just want to share just the kind of the, the, in the beginning of this is how we got connected. You just reached out to me and said, I don't even remember the email, but it was like, hey, I'm doing this. I might be sort of like I'm looking for a space maybe to to pursue this forward. And what I why I want to bring that up is because people who are listening, there's always this question of like, what's the right approach? How do I get in to do this? What do I do if I want to start teaching a yoga class for the first time? What do I do if I want to start my own business? What do I do? And they're like, the answer is listen to what you think you should do and start to just move in that direction. That's the that's my simple answer. What would you say about that? Okay, 100% yes. And if I can give a little background to how this happened, I was actually in my own practice of meditating and this whole COVID time, you know, the number one question a lot of us have is where and what is our path? And um I know like a lot of people, we um, lost our contract jobs or we lost jobs. We lost, like I lost my position because the whole company shut down. And so, you know, I've been filling that time with other things, but then as I was meditating, I said, you know, I still want to stay in the game. And if these companies aren't going to be in person, how else can I share my talents and how else can I share my gifts? And, um, I originally reached out to some, um, uh, I guess they would be considered rehabs. And because I felt like that's where it was most needed because we are seeing an increase in alcohol and drug consumption. Yeah, let's just, it's honest. It's like sales for drug and alcohols. Like, yeah. Through the and room. then I realized um, 
just for where I'm at right now, I'm not sure if that's the clientele I wanted to focus on. And so then I said, where, and I started kind of brainstorming, what other spaces would I feel invited to? What other spaces would I want to share my talents? Because the energy and the room and the environment is really important. So I started looking up dance studios, yoga studios, and I realized that there was not a place in Santa Barbara that incorporated mind and body wellness. And so on Yelp, I saw your studio. I saw that it had infrared heating. I saw the design. I saw the location. And I was like, I love this place. So that I literally, I mean, okay, there's always this fear of rejection, right? So I wrote out my little um, elevator pitch and I just sent it out and I just waited. And of course, um, I sent it out to a lot of studios. And I would say about 50% of them responded. But for some reason, I just kind of like, I kind of let myself kind of be guided by who I wanted to respond to first. And that was you. Oh, yay. And then became our love affair of each other and our professions. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's fun because when you came into the studio the first time that we had a conversation, in my mind, I, I, I always think of like, oh, here we go. We're having a meeting. This, you know, it's, not that it was like a sales meeting by any stretch, but the moment that we started to talk to each other, I was like, can we be best friends? Totally. Totally. I mean, we have so many similarities in just out of the studio too. Like we both have a daughter and we both have an only child. So yeah, I'm just really thankful that you listened to your, what, you know, what you shared of listening to the inner wisdom. It wasn't this, there's not this recipe for approaches. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. You want to make sure that when you're sending out a message that you have proper grammar and that you get the person's yeah. name spelled correctly when you send them a letter, which you did. Yes. My name gets spelled wrong quite often, actually. And right at that moment, there's these parts for myself where I look and I think, well, that person doesn't have an attention to detail. And I'm not a perfectionist, but I do care about appearance when it comes to yeah. is something spelled right sure we get things wrong all the time but just things like that where the bigger thing i want people to hear is ask the questions and start pushing yourself into the spaces because you'll get pulled into the spaces that you're meant to be pulled into yes you kind of have to Can push I in a little and lean in a little and then there's all of a sudden this like pull that's like exactly. this is it but can i also add that of course, I still experienced the fear of rejection. And of course, I wanted to just go another month of not doing anything. You know what I mean? Of course I did. But at the same time, there's also a part of me that, and I, I want to share this because I'm human too, is there's a fear of me really being who I am and letting that show in my first introductory email. And I hope you saw it, but I, I didn't want it to be one of those standard, hello, my name is Lily and I did this, 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 and that. And I, and so part of it gets accepted by somebody like you, but also just based on numbers, 50% of it reject, 50% of studios rejected it. Mm -hmm. So like you said, if it's the right pool, it will be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to dive into the work that you do in this realm of focus meditation and self-hypnosis you gave me a session one-on-one -on -one so that I could have a sense of 
what your work is because you can describe it but it's ex what i've learned through everything in life is you got to experience things you got to experience a person you got to experience a yoga class you got to experience running to decide if you like running mm -hmm. and so what i got present to when you worked with me was that the answers are there the answers within myself are there and there's this your role as the facilitator, because I, I I say this because sometimes the words the the phrase self hypnosis can get like freak people can get freaked out. Yes, there's an elephant in the room. If yeah. I can address that later too. Yeah, we will talk about that for sure. But I just love that this idea of getting pulled towards something is you held the space, you asked questions, you read from something that you created that you know works, and it was profound for me to lay for 50 minutes, it might've even been shorter than that, and have some things surface that I didn't know I felt that way or that I even had any sort of awareness about. And I'm I'm pretty aware of a lot of things. And so it, there's always more work that can be done. And I say work in the way of um, not hustle work, but reset work and hitting the pause button work and inquiry work and mm -hmm. just a, like allowing the space that gets held like you were able to hold the space for me to see things that i wouldn't have seen if i just kept running right and you know i mean they say this in psychotherapy you have to name it to address it and so e like even before the session you were feeling it and it's showing up in how you behave but maybe you just didn't know where it was coming from. So having that space to identify it allows you to kind of um, pivot from that and quote unquote, fix it. Mm -hmm. So it, and thank you for um, sharing that because I'm hoping, and I've heard feedback from most of my clients is that first of all, the power is within you. So I'm just a facilitator and but they've all said they've experienced something like that. And whether they come weekly or monthly or once a year, it's because you guys are ready for it. So like, it's nothing special about me. And that's why, like, if I can address that now, like that's why I call it self-hypnosis more than hip hypnotherapy or hypnosis. Because when people think of hypnosis, they think of, oh my gosh, is she gonna make me act like a chicken? And you know, <laughs> all this stuff where you can't control, but in a therapeutic form, it's really a one-on-one, -on -one, a time and space for you to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with your subconscious. And your subconscious is 80% of your brain power. And the crazy thing is 80% of our brain power does not get direction on a normal day. We just kind of, we just let them drive the bus and we go with it. Yeah. So this is like awakening your subconscious. It's kind of like, okay, so in a technical term, we all have this critical filter and it kind of filters out what can go into your subconscious. Right. And sometimes we don't like in a normal day, we're not really controlling what can go through and what can be kept and what can be stored. We just don't know when. So like, for example, when you're watching a movie and you're feeling the same emotions that the actor is feeling, 
that's hypnotherapy. That's self-hypnosis because you're watching it. You're not actually even going through it, but you feel it. And then you're going to think about that feeling. So when you go to bed and you, let's say it was a scary scene, you're kind of a little bit freaked out in the dark when there's no form of sense of danger. Mm. So that was technically self-hypnosis too. So if you think about it in our daily life, like if we um, had an aggressive interaction with somebody, especially during COVID right now, we've got lots of Karens out there being quite aggressive. Like we can take that in and that can build upon these negative feelings of shame and guilt and all that. And then we act in a way that we feel like we can't control. So when you actually have that one-on-one conversation and you open up that critical filter because you trust yourself, then you become the driver of the bus and you say, okay, this stuff that happened, let's just get rid of it. You know, this stuff is good. This is stuff that you've learned. This is going to help you for the future. Let's keep it. And by the way, I kind of coined the term focused meditation. Tell me more about that. So in the beginning, when I was doing one-on-ones, we called it hypnotherapy. And I kind of felt like there was always this elephant in the room and it took up too much time to just explain all that. Like, I don't even know how many minutes it took for me to explain that. I'm sorry, listeners. (laughs) But, you know, I, I needed to figure out a way that would get past that so that they would be more trusting of themselves and their ability to control where they are and what they do. So I started saying self-hypnosis. And then when I started doing group classes, you know, there was too many questions about self-hypnosis. So, and also it was a little bit more generalized because when you do hypnosis, it's very um, individual based. So when I started writing scripts for the group, I had to include all types of people. So it, I don't want to say focus meditation is a watered down version of self-hypnosis. But when you and I had our one-on-one session, I was able to focus more on you as a person and who you are. And then when you're at a group, I have to kind of water it down just a little bit so that it can incorporate everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's why I call it focus meditation. Cause in meditation, you're usually trying to clear your mind and not think of anything, but focus meditation We're still in that same space, but you're focusing on a particular topic. Right. Instead of it being what people are, you know, people are scared maybe of the idea of hypnosis. And they're also super scared of meditating because everyone will say, I'm not good at it. And it's what you're guiding people towards is, of course, you don't have to be good at anything. You don't have to be good at meditating to meditate because there's no such thing. And what I hear you saying is they don't have to be scared of or worried of being good at something because you are not driving the bus kind of to use that, but you're guiding the way that the mind will kind of pattern and swirl because you're asking questions. Yes. So in in a hypnotherapy session, there will be less question asking because those questions were already answered. But in a focused meditation, there's this, we hold the space and everybody involved in the group holds the space for everybody energetically, where we feel safe to answer that question without judgment, without worrying about, like if you were in psychotherapy, without worrying about looking at my face and seeing my response mm-hmm. <laughs> and be like, oh, Adrian, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> you yeah. know, so the masks are off, the judgment is off, the ego is off. So that's when you get the most information from yourself. Like, I mean, technically you don't need me. You can do it yourself, Mm -hmm. just like anything else in the world. And when people say they're not good at it, 
we live in a society, especially in our world, where there's this impatience, you know, and there's this impatience of, I need to be good at it right away. And like, most things that are worthwhile, that are life changing, that are not fads, it takes time to develop. I mean, I mean, I've been skiing for 20 years. For example, I've been skiing for 20 years and I still have to take a ski lesson because the terrain changes, the environment changes, the skis change, everything's changing. My balance as I'm getting older is changing. Mm -hmm. And that's with our brains and our subconscious too. Yeah, I'm fully guilty of not wanting to participate in things that I'm not good at or I'm not going to get right right away. And actually, if I look, it's like that's been driving my bus whenever I've quit something. And so having that awareness, again, back to like what we focus on, it's like, wait, but I don't want that to be my pattern going forward. And I can start to see that getting like awakened now. And I get that to make a choice. I get to choose, like you're saying is, oh, I'm, I'm not understanding how to do this on this terrain skiing. Can I figure it out on my own? Yes or no. And if the answer is no, then you take a ski lesson. And yes with this kind of work, it's so much of, I, I see and witness just the same way that you have is that we're kind of navigating from this place of impatience and, and very much uh, reactivity and very much fear. And so that's the thing that's driving. And what if we could know that it's there, but then choose when we were talking about this yesterday, it was like choosing the loving response yeah. more times. So how does that work? Like, how does that work to, to make, to like be aware of the kind of, yes, I need a ski lesson. No. Or yes, I'm going to, I need to step into this focused meditation or no, or um, to choose fear or love. Okay. Yes. Okay. If we can just rewind a little bit, mm-hmm. there's also guilt that, is keeping us from really taking that time to honor that all of us as humans need that reset. And some of us would feel guilty saying, I'm going to go lay down for an hour when you have 20 other things you got to do. I mean, as parents, you know, we got to online school our kids. We got to do the laundry. We've got to cook. We got to do groceries. Don't forget. We got to exercise. We got to do all this stuff. And then sometimes when you, just imagine yourself telling somebody, I'm going to lay down for an hour and focus on myself. There's this guilt. I, for one, have mom guilt even. You know what I mean? And when you honor yourself and say, I can't give what I don't have. So if you can't give that love, if you don't give it to yourself first. So that's the number one foundation that we need to have. First of all, coming from love, we got to give it to ourselves first. And self-love is focusing on ourselves and not just in a, um, okay, so sometimes it's like people say, I just want to watch TV for an hour. Okay, and zone out. That's fine too, but it's not going to be as um, productive for yourself because once again, when you're watching TV, you're self-hypnotizing with somebody else's life. You're not focusing on yourself. Mm -hmm. So giving yourself permission to love yourself first is I think the number one foundation, I don't know if I answered the question, did I? I don't even remember now what I asked. <laughs> this is perfect. But no, you, you, you just brought up the guilt part. And I think that what you shared was perfect because 
there's how do I, how do I learn how to love myself is the, you don't learn it from watching a movie. We don't learn it. I mean, for my generation, we don't learn it from the parents and the caretakers before us because what they taught us was we always have to be doing something and you have to put your kids first and you have to put everybody else first before yourself or else it's not honorable, mm -hmm. you know, and even in my culture, women and mothers come last. Yeah, it's right there. And so it's like, I want to take a nap. Nope. Like, oh, really? <laughs> and can you imagine what the men are going through? Like they have the added weight of, I mean, if we're still talking about the gen generic family, the men also feel like they have to be the breadwinners. And then can they take that hour out to just lay down and refocus and if everybody knew that if they just took that hour, the rest of their tasks for the rest of the day would be so much more efficient because if they don't take that hour, then those emails that they had to finish would have taken two hours. But if they took that hour, the emails take an hour and they're actually going to be right on point. So walk through Lily about like, how does that work? Like what's happening during that hour that you take that time to lay down focus meditation, how, how do I want to say it? You, you were self-hypnotized. You're focusing on meditation. You're focusing on yourself for an hour. How does that translate into more productivity? Okay. So this is kind of like a little background. Um, this is what my research is on. It's mindfulness and employee engagement and employee engagement. I mean, it's kind of like a corporate term, but it means being efficient, being productive, being um, engaged, wanting to do what you do, and also doing what you don't want to do, but still doing it in a, how about, can I just say still doing a good job with the things you even don't want to do, mm -hmm. right? So that means you have to be engaged. You have to know that this leads to something else. So for those 60 minutes, and okay, you can do it in nine minutes, you can do it in 20. I have, I founded a company, it's Chunky Brain. Basically, it's where you chunk your time, right? Mm -hmm. So you could do it in five minutes, you could do it while you're waiting in line for something. But it's really just, okay, can I just, I don't want to go into too many tangents. But if we're going to talk about like a 60 minute session, right? First, we have to just kind of release all that negative energy that we've kind of had from that day. And, you know, you kind of get guided through that and there's going to be some breathing and there's going to be some relaxation and, you know, there's going to be just like a warm welcome. Like you're allowing your brain to warmly welcome you to communicate with them. It's kind of like a warm up conversation, right? With yourself. And then you start to, um, for me, since I like to do, I like data, I like to guide my clients into like kind of like a baseline of how they're feeling, depending on that topic, where they're at, like on one to 10, low being one, 10 being high. So if they know where they're at about that topic, then they know where they want to be. Like, it'd be kind of crazy to jump from a five to a 10, but it's still possible. But if we're talking about reachable goals, they know that they want to feel at a seven coming from a five, let's say, or even just a six, because that's all they have to give. So that's when I would kind of facilitate the, I would ask the questions. And while your critical filter is open, ideas and 
uh, answers will start popping up. And so as, as we start going through that, there's kind of like a pattern. So then I'll ask more questions on that. And then we kind of like, it's kind of like going through a walking through the library and kind of, how could I say it? Grabbing the books that you need to get you to where you need to be. So with focus meditation, I like to also have you go to the self-help section of what you want to do and what are the tools that you need to start developing to get you from the five to the six or the seven. And so when you know those tools and they're going to be different for everybody, then we also give you a time to visualize yourself doing that. And, um, you know, anybody who's been in athletics know, and you probably do too, since you're um, into running and stuff like that, is you have to visualize yourself doing it. Like Kobe Bryant said, he has to visualize himself doing those, I don't know too many basketball terms, but uh, three pointers or free throws. Is that the same thing? Mm -hmm. Um, He has to visualize it about a thousand times before he does it once physically and before he does it at practice before. And so Yes, practice helps physically, but also he has to visualize it and he does it before a game every single time. So he's going into his own self-hypnosis every single time before a game to prepare himself. So there's that space in that 60 minutes for you to visualize yourself doing that. And as you know, and most of our listeners probably know, when you've done it before, it's easier to do it next time right? So then by the time you actually have to do it when you're awake, it just doesn't feel so awkward. And uh, you don't feel so resistant to actually doing it. Kind of like in the very beginning, when you were talking about when do you make that contact? Oh, gosh, I feel so much resistance because of fear of rejection. There's fear of failure. There's actually fear of success. More people have fear of success, by the way, than fear of failure. Like if they succeed, then what mm-hmm. do they have to have more goals? So there's that space to let all those ideas come up. Right. I love that. And, and then of course, at the end, I always like to add in some magic. I like to say magic. I, there's no other way to say it. Like, you know, I like to add in the magic of let something amazing happen in the near future beyond your wildest dreams. Be open to that. Be open to somebody gifting you a smile. Like sometimes, I mean, I don't know what your resting bitch face is, but my resting bitch face is bored. So in order for me to be open to somebody smiling at me, you know what I mean? Like I have to kind of be open to that or else it won't just come to me. Yeah, I get it. So that's the end and it kind of closes it up. It kind of closes your critical filter and the magic is also like, visualizing kind of like an invisible shield to block all that negative negativity from the news and from people's other people's fears trying to infringe into our orbit. Like a lot of people don't understand this, but when other people's negative energy keeps coming at us, these little microaggressions, that affects us. And unless we consciously kind of activate a shield to like deflect it, you know, we're kind of absorbing everybody's energy at their own free will and we become victims of them. Yeah. And we're walking around just like ready to punch someone the moment that they come into that. If we're not, a, if we don't put it up, 
Yes, because we've carried the weight of everybody else. Yeah. I love what you said about how at the end you hold this space for something, some magic. And the what I was thinking of was the the most of, I don't know if this is an actual true fact or not, but that, what is it? Only 10% of the thoughts that we have every day are new thoughts. Oh, okay. I don't know the numbers, but I have heard that. Yeah. So it's something like that. And so when, when you're laying in that space where no one's looking at your face, you're laying down on a blanket or a yoga mat and you're with yourself being guided by you. And then someone asks a question, you, of like what could be possible. It's a new thought. It's not one of the 90% of previous thoughts. It's a new one. And then all of a sudden you're 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 instantly in a new space. So no matter what you've what you kind of what you were talking about with the um, you like data and having the benchmark of like I'm I'm a three here. I want to move to a seven. Is okay. Great. You you did that assessment on yourself, and now now what? Here's this amazing space for you to create some possibility that you've never even considered before. And it feels really safe. Yes. And and what's new to you might not be new to somebody else. And a lot of people might not realize this, but, and I know this now because I've actually reflected on it. Every single creative idea I've ever had, starting from even when we were kids, happened when our brain was calm, but our focus was high. And I have um, tools. I have all kinds of gadgets, really expensive gadgets, like EEG readers. So I hooked you up to something called a GSR reader. So I also, when I do groups, sometimes I hook people up to the gadgets. So it's kind of like our, um, I'm losing the word right now. What is that word where in the racetrack, the carrot, that kind of, it's oh, the yeah. pacer. Mm-hmm. So I have a pacer. So I know when is the right time to ask questions. Because if your critical filter is still like resistant, like, oh, I don't want to go into this yet. This is scary. I can ask you any type of question. You're not going to come up with anything. You know what I mean? So it's this perfect level of relaxed, but focused. And I want to say 100%, but, you know, I'm sure somebody can argue that. But almost all of our creative ideas have come from that. So, and and I'm not saying you had to have been laying down in a meditative session, but you literally could have been, let's say having a dinner with somebody and your brain kind of zones out a little bit and out pops an idea. There was a split second where you were focused, but your brain was resting and that idea was able to come out. Yeah. The thing that just came out for my mind was that it's, If I was in a counseling session, let's say, like the two times that I've gone to a marriage and family counseling session (laughs) with my husband, and you're talking about the critical filter, like you know that time when it's like, now we can ask this question because everybody's willing to and wanting to, in the room, wanting the marriage to be successful. And yet (laughs) it's like, that's it doesn't feel like that. Like it's like still like there's a lot of tension. No one's being fully honest. It takes like a couple times. Yes. But if you actually, it's kind of weird, but the thought that I just had was, oh, I don't, I don't necessarily need to go to therapy with my spouse. I'm just super closed. 
I'm closed all the time. I'm closed off. I'm not open. I'm not willing. I'm not happy. There's an RBF going on constantly. And Wait, it's because RBF? resting bitch face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, there's there, the reason that we're not, we, even if we went to counseling, it probably wouldn't work is because we're like, there's a part of us that's both just closed. And so just holding the one hour of space yes. to be open then allows for me to then walk back into my relationship with a clear space of a new possibility because I'm op I was open for maybe even just 10 minutes of the time, not even the full exactly. hour. And you know, when your eyes are open to in your conscious awake state, your brain usually will not go into the delta or theta, which is the resting. For some reason, your eyes have to be closed. It's one of those things, but it doesn't have to be physically closed. You could literally just zone out. Like sometimes when you're driving on the freeway and you miss your exit, your eyes are open, but you're not looking. Yeah. So it could even be in that space where you're not really looking. It's so, I mean, okay, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I've been through many, many, many years of um, marriage therapy type um, hours. I mean, I feel like I could actually be one myself, but I'm not. Um, and I'm divorced. And you know what? Here's the one thing I felt that could have helped me. If I knew that if I could lay the spouses, I'm not even going to say husband and wife now, because there's so many different variations. But if I could lay the spouses down or the relationship down, and I would ask them the questions with their eyes closed, they don't have to say it out loud, but ask them these questions and then get up and share their responses. I feel like that would be so much more honest and productive instead of the spouse is trying to prove I'm right, I'm right, you're wrong, you know, and trying to think of what to say next, like, just let it come. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more because there is that, and, and especially right now, we're just constantly influxed with more than ever. And then also not, it's like for let's, you know, back to the beginning of the pandemic when it was like, okay, now you can't go anywhere. You can't be around anyone. You're stuck. You're stuck being with your family. Apparently you love them. Let's yeah. hang out with them as much as possible. But then it's not like you can't get distracted from stuff while you're at home. So there's computers, there's music, there's, you know, everyone's exercising at home and then you can watch anything on YouTube. And so there's not like a clear space where you're both laying there being like, right. Curious about how you actually feel and you know marriage aside it's just there's a there's a lot of distractions and you know some like sometimes distractions are an excuse so that you don't have to do the hard work mm -hmm. so as far as we can go is we can offer at your studio the space we can offer the energy we can offer the expertise but there's still always going to be the resistance of, do I really want to know? Because mm -hmm. if I know, does that mean I have to commit to making a change? So, yeah. and, so I'd like to share with that. If, if people, if listeners are having that question, I've had many clients want to make a change. They do sessions with me and they'll just straight up say, I'm not ready to make that change now. But these are the things that I feel better about. So I'm getting there. But when I'm ready, it will happen. So we've had stories of people who wanted to, quote unquote, stop smoking. We don't say quit smoking because a lot of people think quitting is bad. Mm. <laughs> so we say we've had people who want to stop smoking. Sometimes it only took one session. We, I, one of my mentors 
it didn't kick in. They did the stop smoking session. It didn't kick in till like 20 years later. So, you know, and sometimes it doesn't kick in till six months later. But once that information is there, it's going to happen when you're ready. Mm -hmm. So say that again. So if someone like 20 years later, what was it that opened up for them 20 years later from a session? So, okay. So this is, and I'm going to try to make it sound more like layman's terms for hypnotherapy or just in general, making changes, you have to 51% want to do it. If you're 50, 50 on the fence, you're not going to do it. So it took that person 20 years to add that one extra percent to want to do it because there was too many things on the left side, like of to not quit. There was too many things that were making that person not need to quit versus here are the things that why you should quit. Here are the reasons why you really don't want to quit. And it had to move that 1% over for them to kind of, it's kind of like a little, uh, I guess it would be like an avalanche to get the avalanche going. Mm-hmm. So it finally clicked. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what was the 1% that moved it over. Like maybe it was a health scare actually, but um, that's when it just stopped. And then some people in six months, you know, they're like, oh yeah, hypnotherapy doesn't work as I'm smoking a cigarette. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm just saying stop smoking for something that's a little bit more like everybody can kind of understand where that's coming from. Cause I think it's general that a lot of people do hypnotherapy to stop smoking, but it doesn't have to be, it could be like nutrition or stop eating sugar or starting an exercise program. So like, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, and this is somebody, a friend of mine is like, oh, I went to hypnotherapy to stop smoking, right? It didn't work. Cause look, I'm still smoking, but then they got a part in a movie and they had to stop smoking. And guess what? Boom. Done. Yeah. Did it's like, what is it costing you? And then what's the reward that you get? And that's the reward or whatever it is that sends you over that edge of, no, I'm all in now. Yes. So it took six months for that person to give me some credit. But for us and our program that we're going to be implementing at Power of Your Own, I'd I'd want the listeners to know, like, just being open to going down that path of self-awareness doesn't mean that you have to make these drastic changes the next day. Nobody's holding you to a um, time frame, but just being open opens up the doors for so many other things. And usually it's positive. You know what I mean? I, I can't imagine it being negative. I've never heard negative on that. Yeah. I think about it as if you're starting to Google meditation there's an open space. Yes. You're starting to Google yoga studios. That's like, you're, you might not be ready yet, but then it, you're curious enough. And really, truly what I hear you saying is like, that's all it takes. And then you just have to yeah. walk in and then allow yourself to lay down, sit up, whatever. And then there's no commitment after that. It's just- yeah. You just had the curiosity enough to start to look for it, to start to listen to this, and then to move into that space and letting the rest take care of itself as opposed to, this is the thing that some people might walk in. This is the thing I want to work on. This is the thing I want to fix. And it's like, great, that's, this is for you too. And there's going to be all spectrums of people that even just all spectrums of people decide to run a marathon 
for whatever reason, right. all spectrums of people decide to take a yoga class, whether it's the physical benefits or they feel less anxious. They walked in because they were they started to be a little curious about it. I mean, myself included. Tell me about Lily. How did you get started with with hypnotherapy? Like, what was the what was the door for you? Okay, this is now stuff's gonna get real because now I gotta share some personal stuff. Yay! <laughs> so um, I didn't realize it till I was in it that I've been doing it all along. So a lot of people are gonna realize once they start focused meditation, they've been doing it all along, but now it's just the the devoted energy, time, and space, right? So um, I had a pretty bad childhood. Um, you know, if you were to ever learn more about me, you, you know that I've kind of lived in foster homes and, you know, kind of had to struggle my way through life. And I got to where I am, where I was, you know, graduated from college, married, um, child, all those, um, what would you call them? All those standards that are deemed... Um, like the boxes Except are checked. Yes, like acceptable for life in that stage, right? And I felt that I was, I realized I was very unfulfilled. And I was checking those boxes and I was lucky enough to encounter people and to do it with the right people, like my ex-husband now. But I was feeling really unfulfilled because I was pushing through all these life goals, but not really thinking about is this what I really want to do? And so I had my teaching job. I had all this stuff that was all that just seemed right. And I was so unfulfilled. And I'm not saying I was unhappy, but I just didn't know where my path was. And so it ended up me going into this whole thing of self-awareness, ended up me going through divorce. And but what I realized was, you know, and I don't know if the, how many listeners have gone through like marital issues, but in the end, if you really think about it, you realize that it's not even about your ex. It's about you and the triggers and the negativity that you've brought on from past childhood traumas or past traumas you've brought into the marriage that you never really reset or thought about or fixed. Even though I thought I did, I thought I was fine. I, I thought that not, um, I thought that, you know, having a horrible childhood, I'd be the best mom ever. No, actually having the child triggered all my fears of, oh my gosh, what if this happens to her? What if this happens? What if that happens? And all kinds of other um, personal issues showed up that I started to try to find people to blame. Unfortunately, it was my ex-husband who took the brunt of it and him for me, because he didn't address his past traumas and issues. We all have them at this point in time. We all have it. If you if you say you don't, there's a river in Egypt called denial, <laughs> you know, that a few people are, are cruising on. Ooh, so, I'm going to steal that one. That's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been on that river, not river Nile. But so um, I started going into psychotherapy. I, you know, I went to, I did everything. And the one thing that I went to that was kind of a little bit out of the box was I did a past life regression session with a hypnotherapist. And at that moment in time, it was a two hour session. Everybody that was in my life, it all the puzzle pieces fit together. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's why I needed to know that person. Oh my gosh, that's why this happened. And I felt at a complete calm of knowing what I needed to do next. And 
so I worked through all that so that um, the separation and everything, you know, when you go through child custody and all that, and I was able to kind of handle it in a more empathetic way for myself. Now, of course, I still acted out and all that stuff. But when I realized how it really helped me and it was life changing, I decided to go back to school to be a hypnotherapist. And so that's what I did. I did went back to school, did that. And then I also realized, well, there's more to this. There's, you know, there's more to being a hypnotherapist. There's also facilitation, there's education. And then I went back to school to get my doctorate. So blending the two, which, you know, adding the business sense to it, that's when I found my niche, which was in organizations like corporate in the corporate world, where these people are working hard. They're working more than eight hours. Let's just say, I mean, I was with tech companies and fintech companies. They're working so hard. And do they ever have that time to reset? And they don't usually because the expectations of them to be productive, just like everybody else, is really high because now commissions resting on the sales job and all this stuff. And so through my data and through my research, we realized that when you give your employees that time to reset, they will be more productive and efficient for the rest of the day or for the rest of the week or for whatever it is, because as soon as they get that time to reset, all that stuff that they didn't, that was kind of dragging them down gets put into their categories. It gets, um, it gets organized so that it's not dragging them down and they could focus on what they really have to do, the task at hand. How were you able to know that? What was the, the research that you did that said this employee or this number of employees is more focused and productive after they do this work? Well, we didn't know that. And that's what was scary. And here's the thing, like the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, they had their own research, but you know, I, it's called a meta-analysis where we take their research and we try to put it and we do our own study. So I took all the best research that they did because they've already incorporated this many, many moons ago, even though mindfulness and corporate organizations is still technically kind of a new, anything under 10 years is still a new topic, you know, and people still think, oh my gosh, it's so woo woo, like it's for the millennials, mm -hmm. but it's not because it's been happening for decades. So I took their research and then I did my own micro research in an organization and, um, you know, Salesforce, a whole some of the mm -hmm. listeners might know Salesforce. Salesforce is like the language of keeping all data, qualitative, quantitative, how much money everybody's making, how many phone calls everybody, like it is its own separate culture ecosystem where most organizations use that program. So what I did was I had one team with their manager in my program for six weeks. And of course we set the baseline and we, we set the program that they committed to for six weeks. And then we monitored, we did the qualitative analysis. How are you feeling about your job? Yeah. These were the tasks that you said you did not enjoy doing that you always put off till deadline. How are you feeling about doing those tasks now? So we always, for the most part, we saw an improvement, even though I don't like it. Um, I eat the frog. I don't know if you heard that term. Yeah, I've read that. Mm -hmm. So now I eat the frog and I do it first, you know, or they'll say, you know, um, the manager will say, I'm not as triggered when I see my, you know, one of my team members not making their numbers because I know they will do it. 
you know, I, I have to add more trust. So these are qualitative, mm. right? But then I love what, can, just go back there for just a second. So it was like huh. that person, when it's, you said, you said, I know that that person will do it because I need to add in more trust. It's almost, it's like, so they're in themselves, not trusting something in another person. And then it's yes. making them point a finger and then they realize, oh, actually it's living in me. They're going to do it. Yes. And because the manager needs mindfulness just as much as the employees. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about this. People leave their managers, not the organizations. Mm -hmm. So when the manager also improved on their own management skills based on their awareness, because I would never know the expertise of the managers. They're managers for a reason because they're experts at something. And I can't ever begin to say I know as much as they do, but they know what they do. They know what they're supposed to do. And whatever they're doing might not be working. So when they go into themselves, they figure out, well, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to try that out. So that's all qualitative. That means that's all um, data that we get from asking questions, right? Mm -hmm. So now let's look at the quantitative. Let's look at, is this team being more productive? And what happened in our micro study, and this is 100 people, yes, they made more phone calls right? So some of them, they have to make a hundred calls a day. Some of them would make 170. Mm. So, and then does that turn into numbers? Are they calling in less for sick days? Cause that costs a lot of money. And so now they're not calling in as much. Now they're not as late. You know what I mean? And then are they making more in commissions? Well, naturally, if they're making more calls, they're making more sales because they just have to throw the net out. Mm-hmm. So quantitative quantitatively they're also making more money yeah it's a win yeah it is and even if and this is another thing that we said even if the leadership didn't have complete buy-in because this is what happens one person will have complete buy-in because they're a practitioner themselves of yoga mind body meditation and then we got maybe the treasurer i'm just gonna blame the treasurer (laughs) oh my gosh that's so woo-woo i'm not gonna do it all i care about is money Exactly. That costs too much. Even if that person does not have buy-in, program still works. Mm. Now, if that person restricted them from actually fully implementing what they've done, you know, then that's a problem. But if they just kind of keep their mouth shut, I don't have complete buy-in, but let's just see, like they want us to fail. It still works. Mm -hmm. So that's That's what's amazing about it. Now, yesterday off the this interview, we were talking about how focused meditation and this work specifically is very different than when someone says, I meditate by running. Talk yeah. about that. Okay. So meditation by running, it's okay. There's so, okay. How about this exercise? I consider it as a form of meditation. But remember, when your eyes are open and you're having to think about the mechanics, you know, there's also the mechanics of your body. You're not really focusing. So like, it's probably the next level. How about that? Because there are certain things that happen with your brain when you don't have to use your vision for safety. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Like, once again, you could be focused meditating in the middle of Times Square with your eyes open, but like... When you're exercising, you're not really putting 100% in. So the people who like to say, I meditate by running, I meditate by cycling or swimming or whatever, yes, that, that's 80% of it. 
But that extra 20%, that extra fully committed person will get a lot more out of it. Because also there's, okay, so with mindfulness and meditation, meditation is usually we're trying to clear everything out, right? With focus meditation, we're thinking of something specific. So it's kind of like um, you could be in a conversation 100% or you could be in a conversation 80%. But your brain knows if you're only in it 80%. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it's like, so, it's just even like the skill of listening with you and I yes. are talking. If I'm really listening, I can't be taking notes because then I'm not hearing what you're saying. My brain is writing down the last thought and then, then I can't even have the opportunity for a new question to get uploaded from my listening because I'm not really listening. Exactly. And you know, here's the funny thing. We all knew this when we were young. Like, you know, if you think about your daughter or my daughter, they know when you're not a hundred percent there. Oh, totally. Yeah. They catch you in all your stuff. Look, mom, mom, look, mom, mom, look. And I'm like, I'm looking. You're like, no, you're not. And you know what? Our subconscious is telling us, Hey, look, you got to focus on this. You're kind you got to focus on this. And we're kind of like, well, we are. And they're like, no, you aren't. Yeah. That's like the example of, you know, you can't really multitask. Like if you're, if you're chewing food and your body's working on digesting, yeah, the brain can't digest your food if you're also typing and having a conversation, reading something. It's not that yeah. it's bad, but your body just can't do the thing because your brain can not do two things at once. And guess what? In, in, let's just say in a normal everyday life, sometimes 80% is good enough. Mm-hmm. So like what you're saying is like, and I bring this up because of I bring up for myself and I bring it up for a, a, what I've heard thousands of times is like, oh, I run, so I don't need meditation. It's my meditation. Yeah. I do yoga, so I don't need meditation. And I'll be the first one to tell you that yoga is awesome. It is a moving meditation. I've been teaching it for 13 yeah. years. I've been running for longer than I've been teaching. And when you sit with yourself and you got to be quiet, new stuff comes up that's never been seen before because you're not busy. You're not busying yourself with what you were saying, like your body has to move and protect itself. Even if you're an expert at running, you still have to do it. Yeah. Here's the thing. I've been in your yoga class, which I love, and it does have a meditative factor to it, even though even starting from child's pose and like, Yes. If I do your class and I, if that's the best I could do that day and I don't get that hour of, I like to do it right before bed. I call it the golden hour. Then yes, that's good enough for that day. And I thank myself and I give myself love for even doing that, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's also kind of like if you're wanting to really put your brain to work and to be calm and exercise and, and, or to exercise your brain, let's just say it'd be like, watching just the first 10 minutes of a movie and then turning it off. So I did get that meditative like little section when I was doing your yoga class. And at the end, what what do you call that when you're just laying down the um, Shavasana? Yeah, I did get it, but it was only 10 minutes. So if you really want to see the rest of the movie, you got to do it. Yeah. I love this, Lily. This is so, so powerful. What would be the the, you know, 
who needs this right now more than anyone? Okay, so it's an interesting time right now because of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to say a blanket statement like everybody, but how about this? Let me just put it into perspective, okay? So all of us have been affected, whether we want to admit or not. We've had to change our life just even if it's a micro level. Like for me, mine was macro, but for some people, maybe it's micro. Now, regardless of what your practice was before COVID, now is the best time for everyone to pivot because we've been forced to make this change. So COVID actually, the silver lining of COVID is it already got the, um, the machine moving. So we're already, um, I'm not going to say more open to change, but we've already, like, we've already been pushed into change. So the avalanche right? Mm -hmm. is coming. It's been forced upon us in a way that we yes. would never have forced it upon ourselves. In, yes. And so we're already on the bus going down the road. So now we just have to move from being a passenger to the driver. Before COVID, we had to first figure out what bus was, you know, we had to buy the ticket. And then we had to try to figure out if we were going to get on that bus. So we kind of just got a brain hack from COVID. We're on the bus. Just move up to the driver's seat. So that's why I think everybody, like I've done it, you've done it. I mean, we've talked about this where we wouldn't be meeting if we didn't get to the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if I could, if I could just, um, okay, I have a challenge for all the listeners since we're already on the bus of the change bus, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in line next time, when you're, um, at the grocery store, when you're getting a coffee, when you're whatever, just in line, waiting for a friend at lunch. I have a challenge for you to just take three deep breaths, notice what your senses are feeling, you know, the weather, the smells, um, who you see around you, and refrain from looking at your phone. Like, it's a great challenge. When we sit down, we're going to look at the phone. What are the, I mean, for me personally, what? Well, the crazy part that you say that is it's not natural to do that, but we've now made it natural to do that. And you see, it's almost like if you're at a table and everyone's phone is out, I feel like I need to bring my phone out so that I fit in. And I'm like, yes. I don't want to. And yesterday when I was meeting you, um, I decided because so what happens is when you don't look at your phone for that five minutes, let's say, and you just look ahead, you're actually starting that pattern of letting your brain, your subconscious rest, starting to categorize and organize. It'd be like a sink full of dishes starts to get cleaned up. On its own. So, you know what I mean? So like you for those five minutes that you're waiting, the dishes are getting cleaned up and categorized and put where it's supposed to be. And that's going to start the pattern of really feeling at peace, giving yourself that love of this is what I need. It seems weird because I'm the only person doing it. And when I was waiting for you, I was like, guess what else I'm going to do? I'm not going to open my laptop until I finish eating. Mm -hmm. So I gave myself about 35 minutes before I met with you yesterday at um, that cute little place, that time to reset. And so if you're worried about sitting still, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, taking those three deep breaths while you're anywhere. Yeah, so it's taking that th those three deep breaths and really focusing on 
not looking at your phone and just thinking about that, like, why do I want to look at my phone right now? Even if you were to say, why is this urge so strong? All of a sudden, these other feelings will start coming up. Like, do I feel not important? Am I a boring person? Like these questions will come up and then that will lead you to asking more questions of yourself. Mm-hmm. And getting to know yourself. I think that's one of the, the big things that you, you brought it up in this conversation about, you know, with everyone else is doing different things, but what do you, what's in it for you? Like, what's the answer for you? Everyone that comes to a class, let's say they're all walking in different walks mm-hmm. of life different experiences, different traumas, different um, responsibilities. And at the core of it all, they're the ones that are the drivers of the bus of their own life. And so we need to start asking ourselves those questions and asking more questions and then starting to take action on those questions that we're asking. And all that stuff happens, which is crazy when you're in one of these sessions because yeah. you're holding the space for yourself to ask these questions in places that, and what I, th- I can't remember the three words that you just, you said with, when you walk into this class, you're ha- there's a, um, there's a space being held for you. It's a time, it's an environment. How did you describe that? It's time, environment, energy. Yeah. And if it's like in making, putting yourself on a schedule and people know this, like if this isn't, you know, revolutionary, but just by you putting your name on a list saying that you're coming to a class starts to make the bus move towards getting to that class. Yeah. Let's say I had someone in class yesterday. This was amazing. She had put it on her schedule that she was coming to yoga at 530 and her manager said something like, well, where are you going? And she's like, I got to go. And she goes, I I can't cancel. She said, there's a $25 cancellation fee if I don't show up. So she's like, so you can give me the $25 if you would like me to stay at work, but otherwise I'm going to go. And so just by doing that, you're holding the space for yourself to walk into a room, to do nothing else. And you can't, I mean, you could, but why would you waste it to, you know, your phone's not going to be with you. You can't be reached. Your your children are, you know, I always, I've said this before, unless you're going to leave a class to go attend to something, nothing else matters while you're in that one hour session other than the thing that you've said you're going to do for an hour. And can we add more to what this person did? Like this person showed her value and she put into muscle memory that her health is just as important as her job. And without her health, she wouldn't be working. Yeah. And then setting that boundary for with her boss. I feel like it's just like when you start to set that in motion and you take a stand for that, then other people see it. Yeah. And then they're like, whoa, what's changed in you? And you're like, I actually care about myself. I love myself. Just to get back to that. And that's the answer for how to solve all of the problems. (laughs) And, you know, you've been in the professional world of sports. Like how many people do you know that are so physically fit, but emotionally and mentally wrecked? Yeah, lots. You know what I mean? And a lot of it's like they're they're not in it. Kind of to, to, to bring up what you said about the manager that doesn't trust their employee. He's like, it's the employee didn't actually do anything. It's It's the trust is not 
living in that person. And so with an athlete, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, do you trust that you've done enough training? Do you trust yourself to perform? It actually yeah. has nothing to do with who else shows up or the conditions yeah. or the environment, but do you trust yourself? Exactly. And, you know, I think that trust and building that into confidence, I mean, it's basically balancing the outer beauty with the inner beauty. And, you know, of course, I mean, I'm going to just be real. Doing yoga makes me feel good, but also I think it um, makes my body look a certain way that I think I find appealing, you know, yes. and guess what? If I was um, unhappy and I was feeling um, whatever I was feeling because or burdened, no matter how beautiful my body looks, I'm not going to be appealing. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a balance. Yeah, I love that. And that's something that's super important to me for people to get. I've had these conversations recently with some women is, you know, do I want your butt to be toned? I actually don't care. But if you feel better because you feel stronger, then this was a win. Yeah. But it's still, it's still, it's like, you still have to do like the, you gotta, you gotta step back for a second and be like, whoa, this beautiful body is here. But if I don't love that body, you know, the whole, what's the, there was like a dumb beauty campaign at one point, like love the skin you're in or whatever it is. Well, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've got great skin, great, you know, or, or like, even that like great strength, but I don't love this. I don't love myself and the strength is worth nothing. Right. And like, I mean, and you, you know, market research, but there's a lot of market research that shows that posture can show confidence and, you know, attractiveness and stuff like that. And there's two ways to fix your posture and you have to do both. And one of them is physically training your muscles, but another one is building that inner confidence that you do spending time with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, you know, technically when you're standing straight, you're opening your heart, your heart mm -hmm. chakra. Yeah. Lily, I want to wrap up and I want to take you through a couple, what I like to do at the end of these sessions Ooh. is little rapid fire questions. And you, one of the first question I want to start with, because you alluded to it at the beginning or at one point during this conversation was, what is your nighttime routine in a perfect world before you go to bed? Oh, I love this because I've actually been, okay, so here's a silver lining to being divorced. Um, there's two versions. When I don't have my child with me, I like to, um, so I, I speak to a shaman and he gives me these oils. So I put the oils on my wrist and I love to just lay down and just see where my thoughts take me. For and how long? Until I fall asleep. And okay. sometimes I will literally start that at six o'clock in the evening, literally that early. And then I sleep the way, all the way through until like eight o'clock in the morning and just all kinds of dreams. And then what happens is I have a little mini recorder and I record all my dreams. And then every so often I'll check in with my shaman and I'll tell him my dreams and then he'll kind of help me dream translate. Wow. So now what about the nights it. that you don't have your daughter? So, oh, so that's you when, do, when you don't, when you do have so your daughter, when I do have my daughter, a perfect night would be, um, okay. This is like a reveal that people are going to probably be controversial. <laughs> she still sleeps with me. So I put her into bed and I read a little bit of my Kindle because, you know, she likes me to be in bed with her. So I get to read a book that I 
don't usually get to read when I have to be looking at her all the time. <laughs> and I just read my Kindle right next to her Great. until it's bedtime. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. What is a word that you're living by right now? Ooh. You know, okay, I, I'm going to say the word, but I'm also going to change it, okay? okay? So the word I have been living by is integrity. And I made a commitment to do everything with integrity. But I realized that using that word also made me judge myself when I thought things through that were without integrity or when I act out or when that 10% of me just wants to bitch slap somebody that's not with integrity. <laughs> and so I want to say the word integrity, but at a percentage, I'll say like 80% and then 20% all bets are off. Yeah. I love that. It's like we can psychoanalyze ourselves so much that we then are criticizing ourselves if we don't live up to the expectations Yes. And I don't want to do that to myself. And then it's like, wait, oh, there I was living out of integrity. I didn't do a good job. Now I got to recommit to integrity. And then you spend so much time fighting ourselves. <laughs> yes. It's so silly. And the true me, like I'm a feisty little sassafras. So not everything's going to be done with integrity, but the common things like relationships, job, you know, parenting, I feel like I got those under control. For the most 80% of the time, 80% of the time, 100% of the time. Yeah. All right. Um, in the middle of the day, you have 30 minutes free all of a sudden unplanned. What do you do with it? Okay. You know, being the person that I am, I really like being with this podcast. I really want to say I just sit quietly, but I can tell you what I did yesterday. I was craving fudge in. I totally made a whole batch of fudge. I added in marshmallows. And like, to me, that was really soothing because I I do make that time for meditation, but because that's my uh, strength. My other thing is I love baking and cooking. So I did a whole batch of Rocky Road fudge. Oh, you're going to share that with me? Of course, if you can eat it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. What would you tell the younger version of yourself? Oh, man. You know, okay, I've actually put this on my phone in my calendar to remind me because I'm 45. So I feel like I'm on the second half of my life. You know, now is I mean, it's kind of sobering, and it's kind of humbling. And I know that no matter how and I mean, I've reached my doctorate degree. And guess what? I realized that I will never know everything. And when I'm worrying about somebody else judging me, I realize now, or I've soothed myself by knowing that their judgment is impermanent and it's fleeting and they're so absorbed in themselves anyway, they couldn't spend so much time judging you and thinking about you. Yeah. So what would you tell the younger version of yourself? Um, I think just to, you don't have to do it all. And to, I mean, if I could have, I would have said, take that time for yourself sooner. It's not a bad thing to think about yourself. All right. I have, I read this on a little tea bag. It said, accept who you are in the moment and acknowledge who you want to become. 
what comes to mind when you hear that? Oh man, I love that too. Okay. I've been working on that. It's been a long journey to accept who I am because I mean, I shared a little bit of my past living in this town in Santa Barbara in Montecito. It's, it's unusual to have a background like me. You know, there's a lot of wealth here, financial and everything. And there's a lot of quote unquote, they think class and all this stuff. And I'm not from there. I'm not from that. I wasn't taught that. So I have to accept myself as the, um, the black sheep in this town, but I deserve to be here. Now, where do I want to be? I still want to be me, but have more of the time and energy and resources to do more of what I want to do. Because right now I'm so focused on helping me and helping my daughter and helping my inner circle and where I am with my career, but I haven't got to that next level of really helping at a global scale. And I hope that one day I'll be there. I think that you're getting there. Just like what I know about this, just this conversation, your energy, your passion, your desire for, um, I mean, I guess it's just the passion for this kind of work that you know that it works, that you've experienced that it works and that um, it's starting to happen. Yeah. And yeah, it's starting to happen. Thank you. I, I mean, I love that somebody else is having faith in me too, because that just adds to my energy of pushing forward. Yeah. Thank you for this, Lily. Of I course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. I really hope that you join us at the studio for these focused meditation classes that are beginning on April 12th. The classes are going to start Mondays at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Wednesdays 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and Fridays 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Each class will be 50 minutes in length of the meditation and 10 minutes to just kind of wind down and get into the rest of your day. You can find those on our website at powerofyourown.com forward slash class schedule. And they're also going to be available virtually. So if you're not able to join us in person in Santa Barbara, we would love to have you join us virtually. And you're still going to get so much out of it no matter where you are. And the last thing is we'll be adding some of these sessions to our on-demand library. So if you are a member of the studio, you can check back in and listen in on these whenever you can, whenever you want to. All right. Have a great week.